Welcome to the Wealthy Circles Forums, where we'll be hearing from finalists that are paving the way in the wealth management industry. I'm Diana Britton, wealthmanagement.com editor, and today we're talking about accelerating change, making a more diverse and inclusive practice. Um, I'm joined today by Kareem Hill. He's the executive director of the American College Center for Economic Empowerment and Equality. Erica White, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Janie Montgomery Scott, and Lacey Garcia, Founder and CEO of Willow, a platform that's empowering financial institutions to better serve women and underrepresented groups. Um, so, you know, we all kind of know the problem in the wealth management industry. Um, just to throw out some data, you know, the um, according to Discovery Data, Black and Hispanic Latino people are underrepresented in this industry relative to the general population by 10 and 12 percentage points, respectively. And women are underrepresented by 28 percentage points. Um, you know, so I think this industry's put a, a lot of lip service into this initiative for many, many years. And, you know, firms are, are being asked to show their, their math. Um, you know, you, they say this is an important issue, but what have you actually done? Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, one, uh, just a little note from an executive brief that came out of one of our diversity initiatives um, as part of Wealth Management Edge Conference. Um, we wrote a, a more diverse equity and inclusive workplace, one that also embraces and values a sense of belonging is rapidly becoming both a social and business imperative because the wealth management industry's composition includes a large number of smaller and mid-sized firms. However, substantial progress will only result from the collective efforts of many firms. So just to want to throw this out there to the, the, the speakers here, you know, can advisors make a difference? Can they deviate the outcome in terms of improving the diversity in the wealth management industry? Thank you so much for having me. I think one of the most important things that professionals within this industry can do is to meet these demographics, these constituency groups where they speak their language, understand their needs. It is not this the same um, industry. It is not the same constituency that it was 40, 50 years ago. The wealth in these diverse markets, the Black and African-American market, the Asian Pacific Islander market, the LGBTQ plus market, women over 50, that market is changing. And that demographic, Latino and Hispanic, they are gaining ground, whether it might be uh, incremental, but they are gaining ground, right, in terms of wealth and in terms, in, in terms of understanding how that transfer of wealth should and can occur. So professionals in the wealth management and the financial services, particularly financial advisors, they've got to meet people where they are. So does that mean that they, there might be generations of families living in the same household? They've got to be able to talk to those different generations, right? And look at their products and services that could really address the needs of those specific markets. So it's not up to the constituency groups to make themselves available. It is up to this industry to meet people where they are and then make sure that they are providing that education, 
providing that wellness in terms of financial wellness and literacy, and they were providing that access. And that's what's really, I believe, going to make the difference. Yeah, that's great. Kareem, anything from you on this? Yeah, so Diana, I completely believe that advisors can make a difference when it comes to diversity in our financial system because they are the face of the companies. The advisor is the face of every single company in financial services. And to be 100% candid, recruitment starts with exposure. So if advisors do a really good job and take it seriously and actually live it and embody it and do all the things that Erica was talking about in terms of making themselves relevant to those underrepresented markets, then they can absolutely have, make a difference in terms of the diversity that we see in financial services. But when you think about the industries that are attractive historically to underrepresented groups, whether it be women, African-American, Black, or Hispanic and Latino, they're all industries where those underrepresented groups see themselves. That's why they are attracted to them. So I think many firms are looking at it the wrong way. They're thinking they can come at, come at it with a corporate initiative and just make it happen when really it's gotta be something you live and breathe and you see outside in the streets, on Main Street, in the suburbs, where those underrepresented groups live. They have to see you being serious about it. And that is the role of the advisor, in my opinion. Yeah, Lacey, what do you think? I'm curious. I mean, I know that you you know, you know, have this platform and you're trying to work with advisors. Um, what are you seeing from them? Thank you so much, Diana, and definitely agree with everything that Erica and Kareem are saying. So although these demographic changes, they're happening, right? They've happened. They're happening. Um, the great wealth transfer that we all know about is, is taking place. There is still a lack of kind of awareness and understanding amongst the majority of advisors. I think a recent data I was reading by Bloomberg asked the question to a subset of advisors, how much will demographics play a role in, in, in your future kind of client demographics? And only, only 10% thought that that would have a significant impact. So the reality is yes, I think the industry is starting to pay attention at a high level, at the leadership level, but quite frankly, where change really needs to happen is at the individual advisor level. And it's to start by just acknowledging that, that you know, just like changes in the market require a new approach to investing, changes in demographics, they're here, they've happened. And now we have to, we have to change the way that we attract, we retain, we, we talent in our teams, um, the culture that, you know, cause it can start with just changing the culture and being more open. You know, we realize that sometimes it's not so easy to find diverse talent, but it starts by creating an environment where not only would you be able to attract those people, but if they came to work with you, you'd be able to actually support them and retain them and showing that inclusive nature. So I think it is less complicated than we sometimes think, but it starts with everybody who's listening today, taking some accountability and figuring out like, what can I do differently? Yeah, that is a kind of a crazy statistic um, that you threw out there. That's surprising. Um, Kareem, I was wondering if you would talk a little bit uh, about the Center for Economic Empowerment and Equality, what you're doing there. I know it's a, it's a relatively new um, initiative, 
And I know you guys came out with this inaugural study and I wanted to, uh, just wondering if you, you know, what are some of the findings that came out of the study? What are some of the most surprising things that came out of that and what should advisors take from it? So Diana, thank you for that question. So the Center for Economic Empowerment and Equality, our goal is to help the financial services industry reduce the racial wealth gap. That's really what we are focused on. We broke this down into four pillars that we think can really make an impact. The first is financial education. We believe the industry must be committed to bringing financial education to underrepresented groups in the way that they need to have it, not at a level that makes them feel like they are not wanted or that, quite frankly, that is above them and and where they are. To Erica's point earlier, we have to meet them where they are. That's pillar one. Pillar two, we focus on how do we recruit and then retain more advisors of color and more more female advisors. That is not just going out and hiring more black men and women. It's once you bring them into your company, how do you create a true culture that makes them feel like they are a part of it? And most importantly, makes them feel wanted in that company. Pillar three is how do we take those advisors that are in the industry and help them build their business, build their books, and actually strive for more. I know a lot of advisors who have been doing it for 15, 20 years, who then say, I'd like to transition into something more corporate. I'd like to be able to train others, teach others to really make a corporate difference. Taking a Black advisor who has been in the industry, who has now said, I want to transition on to a corporate role. I want to take all the skills to build, to learn how to build their book of business and to move forward. And then lastly, it goes into what the fourth component is collective impact. And that's around research. And Diana, that's the, the question you asked around what are the research findings? Two big findings we learned, and they're not anything new. One, the conversation for black men and women is stressful around money. It creates mm-hmm. physical stress, especially for black women to talk about wealth. Second, the second big finding is they don't believe the industry truly wants them because they don't think the industry cares about their level of wealth. Those two components, if an advisor can learn to have a conversation with a Black man or woman and not make it stressful, and then if they also can make them feel wanted around their level of wealth, it can fundamentally change how these underrepresented groups, especially Black America, look and think about the financial services industry. Yeah, I think those are great findings. And also just, um, you know, those four pillars, I think those are, are really important for this industry. I, I, you know, I really respect what the American College is doing there because, you know, I think it, they're very, um, you know, action oriented and, 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 you know, this is really what we, what is going to make an impact um, you know, rather than just writing a check or, or paying lip service to it. Erica, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what Janny is doing in this area. What kind of initiatives do you guys have going on yeah. around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Thank you for that question. So I've been with the firm since the end of March this year, and I really began my tenure going on a listening tour. So I talked with our CEO and his executive leadership team, and I went all throughout the organization and just try to find out what, what were their, where were the areas of opportunity and where do we need to lean in so we can really make a difference. And so I developed a strategy that was four-pronged. Uh, the first prong was um, talent acquisition, right? To, so to Kareem's point, point, 
where are we looking for that talent? Where is that burgeoning talent? Where are we looking for, tra for transferable skills? And how can we create an opportunity for people to take those transferable skills from one this industry? They could have been a teacher. Some teachers who are now financial advisors ported those skills over and created great relationships, right? So that's just an example. The second area was talent development. How are we developing people who are already in the building, already part of the, the firm? And how can we make sure that we are creating an opportunity for them to realize their potential and to try something new? If they were in operations, for example, or they were a trading analyst, now they want to go into financial advising. How do we make sure that that really happens and where are we creating the opportunities to do that? The third thing was um, we were looking at curriculum. So for example, what do we have that is readily available so people can be comfortable having conversations across difference and understand how to go in to and exit from a conversation where both parties feel whole, right? So understanding microaggressions, micro inequities, unconscious bias, how to um, develop an inclusive environment, be an inclusive leader, be a thought and thought educator, right? So we were looking at curriculum. The fourth area is community engagement and outreach. And this is the area really where our financial advisors can lean in, right? So our financial advisors partners with the office of DEI and they uh, created a, a program called event sponsorship. And so what does that mean? The financial advisors have the opportunity to really go deep and broad into the communities where they live, work and play and develop, begin to develop relationships that go beyond the transaction, right? That transaction for a financial advisor could simply be, you know what, I'm going to write a check to this nonprofit and then call it a day, right? I've done my philanthropic giving. But this initiative is really tailored to go deeper than that, right? What is the organization that we are being, you know, we are partnering with? What are they going to get out of it, right? Other than a check. And that's one thing that is really, really important to me. How are we going to be, build relationships and go move away from the transaction and into the transformation, right? So that transformation is, yes, we are going to write that check, but we are going to offer seminars on financial wellness. We are going to start at the very basics of how to balance your checkbook and how to make sure that you understand what savings means and how can we make sure that we are preparing adequately for any other next phase in our life, whether that is sending kids to school or looking forward to retirement or caring for you know, a parent as they get older and you become the caregiver, not only of, again, that's that generational piece. I'm caring for my children, I'm caring for my parent. And so how are we coming along organizations where we are creating that transformational reciprocal relationship, right? Beyond the check. And it does a number of things. Number one, it supports quite obviously, it supports those organizations in their engagements and their efforts. But number two, when and if 
that individual or that organization finds themselves in need of financial advice and tutelage, now they've got Janny top of mind, right? Because Janny came alongside something that they are passionate about and something that was meaningful. And number three, kind of a residual lift. If anyone is looking for their next opportunity, again, the memory of, you know what, Janny supported my organization and now I'm to the point where I'm ready to have the conversation about my, my financial health and wealth. And so those are the kind of bifurcated lift components that we get out of going deep within the organization and creating those transformational moments that matter. So those are the four pronged areas that we're really working on. The other thing that we are doing is really empowering our employee resource groups to tell the story because those people who are involved in the resource groups, we know that they are passionate about their constituency. And this allows them to bring their whole selves into the office and partner and marry their passion with their job. And so we have constituency-based um, employee resource groups that are out in the community and engaging with the workforce and exposing people to different things and experiences that they wouldn't have necessarily had. And again, we are, we are looking at the whole employee and what matters to you outside of the office should matter to the firm. And that, those are the kinds of components that we are pulling together in our strategic voice and our strategic focus to move forward. And I always say that, you know what, we are in this for the marathon. This is not a sprint. It's going to take us a while to get there. So again, that transformation happens over time. It is not a miracle cure, nor do I expect it to be. And that cultural shift that Lacey was talking about happens when we start to educate people on the efficacy as to why this matters. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I think uh, part of the problem is that many of these underrepresented groups are not being served by financial advisors. You know, even though diverse communities are, are seeing their wealth grow at a faster rate than the overall population. Um, that's just uh, from a, a recent Merrill Lynch study. Um, Lacey, I know your platform is, is more focused on helping advisors better serve women and underrepresented groups. So can you talk to us about the business case for serving these communities? And where do where where do I start? <laughs> I mean, as you mentioned, uh, the you know wealth is growing at a faster rate amongst all of the you know underrepresented groups, which will collectively um, you know create the majority in the United States by twenty forty five. Um, but also, you know, amongst women, I guess if, if quoting McKenzie by by twenty thirty alone, a thirty trillion of this intergenerational wealth transfer will be in the hands of women. And 80 to 90% of all women will at some point be solely responsible for the their financial decisions, that of their household. Um, and, you know, women are tend to be more advisor reliant than men, and they also tend to make more kind of loyal long-term clients. I think that women on average make about 23 referrals to their financial advisor compared to only 11 by men when they have an advisor that they that they have a good relationship with you know so the reality is that the business case 
is is beyond compelling. I mean, in in order to capture the the greatest opportunity in um, the wealth management market, you really have to build relationships, and it is about relationships. It starts with you know a, a connection and and asking asking a question and creating an actual relationship with her that's based around her goals, her values, her family, and, you know, everybody um, that's part of that. So that's, that's just a little bit about the business case there. Yeah. I mean, we've all sort of seen the statistics about the, you know, percentage of women who leave their husband's financial advisor, um, you know, when they're widowed or um, whatever, or divorced. Um, How can advisors deepen relationships with female clients and prospects, Um, you know, and maybe this is, um, you know, opened up to the whole group, Um, you know, um, I mean, I was on a, I was at a conference recently and they were talking about prospecting and the, the conversation was, you need to look within your own business to prospect, you know, to expand the wallet. You don't need to go outside. You, you need to deepen the relationships with, you know, the entire family that you're serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just wonder if you, if you guys might talk about how advisors can go about doing that. So one thing is it very much, it starts with your own, with your own book. You know, I talk to advisors all the time and I ask them if they have strong relationships and they're like, of course, yes, I do. And then they take a look, they print out the list and they go down and they're, and they realize about halfway through that they don't have relationships with a lot of the wives. You know, I'll ask the question, have you, you know, how recently have you met with the children? I think that the most recent data out there is about 75% of all advisors you know, haven't maybe once a year or meeting with the next generation. I mean, so, so it does start with your book. And I'd say, I think that this is, we, you know, focus on kind of women in the underrepresented uh, community, but this probably is true for all clients. We have a framework at Willow called the E3 framework, which is to lead with empathy, to focus on relevant education and everything that you should be doing and creating a relationship that's collaborative should be around empowerment. So really empathy, education, and empowerment um, that's based upon like what that client's, you know, kind of values and goals are, um, is really kind of a great first step in building a relationship with her and with also with the next generation. Yeah. And, and I'll add to that, that through our study, what we learned, our study was focused on Black women. Mm-hmm. And what we learned is that they have a different set of motivators when it comes to wealth and wealth building. And until an advisor truly understands what motivates that demographic, you can't advise them. The the, the advisor would take take an approach with with a demographic that they understand. Their approach would be, I know you care about X, so I will help you achieve X. The problem with women, especially black women, is advisors don't know truly what they care about so you can't truly advise them on how to build wealth in the way that they want to build wealth. A lot of times I think advisors just focus on the numbers and they focus on the data, but it's not just about the numbers and the data. A lot of times it's also about their community. Black individuals in general, but especially black women care about the community doing well as mm-hmm. much as they care about their individual household doing well. And I think advisors need to tap into understanding what motivates those those demographics before they can try to advise. 
that's the only way to actually build relationships that are that are deep and relevant. That's a great point, Kareem. And Erica, just any final thoughts from you on this? You know what, Kareem, you are spot on uh, in terms of what Black women value in terms of the, the broader community, right? So first and foremost, it is it is take care of home, right? And what does that look like? But it's also take care of your neighbor. And I think that's the piece. Sometimes it's the missing link. So the last thing I will, I will add to this conversation, which has been so incredibly rich, is don't forget the fundamentals. As a, as a financial advisor, the fundamentals are the fundamentals, right? Which is build a relationship. Do and engage in active listening. Don't do too much talking. As a matter of fact, in the first two or three conversations, don't even bring the portfolio of what you can offer, right? Because those things will come eventually. You want to engage in the first conversation and, and taking notes, but not talking about what you can offer and where, what products and services. You don't want to do any of that. And those to me are the fundamentals. And to Kareem's point, when you actively listen, you will hear the answer and then you will be able to help them create the plan together. That mm -hmm. makes sense. And so if you don't know that there are three generations living in a household and you come with a plan that really just talks about them, then you weren't doing your job. You are not active, active, actively listening to the client. And so again, I would just implore financial advisors to listen, listen for the answers and listen again, right? Before you act, before you suggest, before you do any of those things, listen, build the relationship, gain the trust. Because quite honestly, these underserved and underrepresented markets will be able to sniff out something. If it stinks like a skunk, it's a skunk. And they're gonna tell you, you know what? Thank you so much. And they're going to move on. The, uh, the flip side to this is I've heard financial advisors say, well, you know what, how do I, you know, I'm a white woman, female advisor. Would a black family want to talk to me? Would a Hispanic family even want to connect with me? Would an Asian? And the answer is yes. If you know how to listen, mm -hmm. if you know how to meet people where they are, if you create an empathetic passionate relationship, then absolutely. You need to be the one financial advisors to break that barrier, not ask the people who you're trying to do business with to do it for you. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, and, you know, I'm afraid we're just about out of time here, but Erica, you're, you're absolutely right. This was a very rich conversation. And I just want to thank you to our speakers, Kareem Hill, from the American College, Erica White, from uh, Jani and Lacey Garcia from Willow. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining me today. And thank you to our audience for listening to this Wealthy Circle podcast. For more Wealthy Circle podcasts, visit WMTV on wealthmanagement.com. Thank you so much. <laughs>